Thank you, Drake. I appreciate that. I was nervous for Drake because I thought he's going to just, without any warm-up at all, start right in with a wind instrument. How do you do that? And, uh, boy, he, he really um, did a great job of reminding us of the amazing grace of God. Thank you so much. Um, first, I, I just want to thank the decorating committee. The church looks wonderful. It looks beautiful. It was the first thing I noticed when I walked in here this morning. And I think it really um, it encompasses the beauty and the peace of the Christmas message that a Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. So thank you so much for beautifying this place and setting that atmosphere. And then I also just wanted to say that I think the um, the silver threads upgraded to the gold threads Friday night based on the uh, spectacular job that they did of hosting the annual Christmas party. The It was they just literally it was a feast spread before us. It was a wonderful time in the Lord and wonderful time of fellowship and and remembrance of the Christmas story as we also Saying Christmas carols. So thank you so much. Your hard work and labors and your service to the body is very, very appreciated. Well, we are back in the book of Proverbs this morning. Climbing the scale, learning and climbing the scale of biblical wisdom. The book of Proverbs acknowledges that there that, that the world and its relationships have a specific way that they work because they were designed by a specific God. And so as we learn these, we can uh, glean these truths, apply these truths. And the idea is that we can live in prosperity and peace and harmony with one another in this world. You know, as we've been studying the book of Proverbs, I think it's safe to say that just about every major event that we would face in life is spoken about. In Proverbs, even a lot of the practical things that we might not think about in our lives. And it's been said that Proverbs is practical theology. And I think we certainly are finding that in all the topics that we've talked about. We have two more topics to speak about in this book before we can move on to our next study. And that is the topic of wise friends and neighbors. And then the topic of basically covering family. And wise friends and neighbors can be covered this morning in just one sermon. But Proverbs has a lot to say about parenting, child rearing, family relationships. And so it's going to be impossible to cover that in just one message. It'll probably be another two or three or maybe even four to glean all that we can. So it will the study will venture into next year as well. But for now, we're going to consider what it means to be a wise friend or neighbor. And the reason I said wise friend or neighbor is because the Old Testament actually uses that same word interchangeably. So we'll talk a little bit about that as we progress. As I thought about Proverbs and I started reading all these verses about friendships, you know, I, I thought, okay, everything is important to God, but where... Where do friends fall in in the social order or the importance of the social order that God has blessed us with and created us with? I mean, how how important is friendship? And, of course, you have, I think, safe to say, as far as human relationships go, uh, marriage perhaps may be the preeminent human relationship as far as how God uses it because it's literally an object lesson of the gospel. 
So family, all relationships and family relationships reflect the divine image of God. And that's why we have them. Then you have just the family unit and growing up together and how God uses the family unit, the tightness, the loyalty, the protectiveness there to also communicate the gospel. You know, growing up, I'm sure it was the same with you. We we uh, we fought among ourselves, but you just you didn't want anybody else picking on your little brother or little sister. Only you could do that. So there's this protectiveness there. So you have the, the, the family unit. But then I think under that. You'd have to put friends in the social order. Friends are very important in the plan of God. And I truly believe that friends are a gift of God. They're a gift of God that we don't deserve, that he blesses us with. But they're important in our spiritual formation. You will see that as I read these scriptures to you. And if friends are that important, then I think it's wise of us to understand what it looks like to have a true friend and what it looks like to be. A true friend. We can have friends if we're willing to play by God's rules, if you will. And I wouldn't say that friendships are there to replace the family relationships, but friendships, I think you'll see, are there to enrich and enhance the family experience. Many married couples begin their relationship as friends. And a lot you'll hear a lot of married People say, you know, my best friend is my husband. My best friend is my wife. And that is certainly true in our relationship, my relationship. It's my BFF sitting right there. And um, so, you know, friendships can turn. They're not family, but they can turn into family relationships if you're not careful or if you are careful. Maybe that's what we want. But um, friendships have an important place in our spiritual lives. I had an opportunity this past week to speak at the crew community men's breakfast for a morning devotion. And when I walked into the community center at crew, my heart was immediately blessed. And I'll tell you two different reasons. One is because as I just scanned the community center, there's about 20 or 30 men there. There were two men serving in the kitchen. And I was so proud of our church because the two men that were serving others in the kitchen we're two men that, that attend this church. And I just felt, just swelled with pride for New Covenant Fellowship for the service that was going out. But another thing, because I knew I was going to preach on this and was thinking about friendships, those two people that were serving were childhood friends. And they grew up together and then and, and later came to Christ. And I thought they are still hanging out with each other, enjoying one another's company and serving the Lord together. What an honor that was. And my heart just swelled with pride. And those two men that made me so proud were Bobby Martin and Dwight Ray. Dwight Ray in here this morning has a had a family event that he had to attend that couldn't be uh, rescheduled. But I just it was such a blessing to see those guys not only serve on behalf of the church, but as friends, lifelong friends. That's an idea of what we'll get into this morning as we think about friendships. So, first of all, characteristics of a wise friend. I have listed there three. A friend is faithful. And, of course, these won't come as a surprise to you, but it's a really good reminder to hone in what God has to say about friendships. A friend is faithful. Proverbs 18.24 A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So one of the first characteristics of 
a, a good, strong friendship is just commitment. It's that constancy. The friend who is always there, not a fair weather friend like we find, like the guy in Proverbs fourteen twenty that says the poor is disliked even by his neighbor. But the rich has many friends. Have you ever noticed that um, you have more friends than normal if you happen to have something that a lot a lot of something that people want? So like, you know, you're a kid in school or at church and you bring, say, to church a big old bag of candy and all of a sudden you have all these little friends around you. Or, uh, you know, in a negative sense, if you just happen to have an abundance of drugs or alcohol, all of a sudden you have all these close friends that just want to hang around with you on the weekends. Uh, just win the lottery. Win it, win it big in the lottery and you will have many companions that will pledge their allegiance and their loyalty to you, you'll receive letters and phone calls from people that you didn't even think existed. And you come to find out they're close friends or family friends or even relatives. Uh, and they just want to be a part of your life and and to serve you in any way they can and um, and and be faithful to you. Of course, the, the common ground there isn't friendship, it's greed. And so in our perspective of friendships we need to think about constancy we need to think about true faithfulness and you know what, what are the motives behind these kind of things when it's like this these people don't care for you if you just won the lottery it should be pretty obvious they're after somebody else they weren't there when you couldn't pay your bills and when you struggled in life uh not that anybody in here would play the lottery but um just in case just as an example but, you know, just like the prodigal son, when the money's gone, in this case, it wasn't the lottery. It was the inheritance. When the money's gone, the friends were gone and he found himself in a pigsty. So a true friend is there for the long haul and the friendship doesn't change based on the changing circumstances. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And so. There is this unquestionable loyalty that is found in friendships. There's this reliability. Friend loves at all times. They're there to help you. They're there to encourage you when they can. And actually, it's interesting because a, a lot of times um, true friends are there more when you need them the most and maybe not so much when you don't need them. And one of the truest marks of uh, friendship and it sets the, the standard very high is when you need a friend most and they are there. They all basically drop what they're doing to be there for you in your time of need. When you're at your lowest, uh, they're willing to go things through things for you. And I think that's just like one of the highest standards of friendship. And as I think about that, I also realize we need to be careful about that in how we evaluate our current friendships and be Careful not to be too harsh to judge one another as far as what kind of level of commitment and loyalty is there in a friendship. Because the reason for stating that is not so that we can walk away and think about, well, I don't have any friend that's like that and feel like we're being gypped in life. The reason for stating this is to encourage us to be that kind of friend, to remind us that we can be that kind of friend. So the emphasis is not on what we are receiving, but what we can be willing to give. 
Proverbs 26. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. So there's again, you have that contrast in Proverbs. Here's a warning about people who very willingly and openly give you verbal commitments. Oh, you need some help anytime. Just let me know. You can always count on me to be there. Just give me a call. Give me a ring. Whatever it takes, I will be there to help you. Wouldn't miss it for the world. And then when the actual time comes, there's there's a lot of time. It's a no show. Nobody there's there's nobody there to be found. So it's a warning about friendships. It, it isn't just about talking good words and nice words and making verbal commitments that aren't backed with true actions. Constant talk can turn into a constant no show. And what this does is just show the, the great value of faithfulness that can be found in friends. In Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds. Do you mean friends can cause you pain and wound you in your life? According to God's word. Yeah. How, how might that happen? Well, by telling it like it is. By telling it like it is, a, a good friend speaks the truth in love. An idea here of the faithfulness is that if, if we truly care for someone, then we would be willing to speak into their life, even if it's hard things. It's not being condemning. It's spoken in, a, in an uplifting way with a hope that we're sparing that person Pain or misery. And so sometimes saying the hard things and the difficult things is part of being a friend. And it's almost a test of true friendship. Who is willing to tell me the hard things that I need to hear? Because by and large, even within the church, people avoid these kind of things. We don't want to be the one that has the hard word. We don't want to be the one that causes conflict or causes pain. It is it is very, very Difficult and the hard word is not always well received, but as hard as it is, there are times that call for it. And the opposite is also mentioned uh, profuse are the kisses of the enemy. This is the person that uh, just constantly tells you flatters you or constantly tells you only the things you want to hear. Now, we can get to know one another well enough to know what people want to hear. And so that's this kind of friend wants to completely avoid any contention or conflict and just ride on the surface. Uh, it's more important to be liked, more important to look good in people's eyes than it is to love by speaking the truth or than it is to even be willing to take a hit for speaking the truth. Even our enemies can pour it on thick, not just friends. And I know this is obvious, it should be obvious, but I just have to throw it out there in light of today's social media. But just because you have a thousand friends that like you on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else is out there, doesn't mean that they are true and reliable friends. <clears throat> it's really easy to be anonymous. There's no accountability out in the airwaves. So friendships are very important. Please be careful who you let into your head.
and who you let into your heart. So friends are faithful. Are our friends faithful? And are we a faithful friend? Another characteristic is a friend is not to be forsaken. And this is kind of the opposite of that. Won't spend a lot of time of it on it. But Proverbs 27 makes a point. And specifically says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Two different thoughts in this verse. But not forsaking your friend or your father's friend. The idea behind that is that good, strong friendships, family, friends, and so forth, they're really hard to come by, especially in our transient culture. And Proverbs is warning us to, to really think twice before we are careless with long-term friendships or family friends. And they're kind of like oak trees. They don't just grow overnight. I mean, these are, these are things you've been through storms together. You've been through the good times and the bad times. And through all of that, just like an oak, you, you just have this great strength and stability. And be careful not to just to throw that out because you got your feelings hurt one time or had some kind of a disagreement. I mean, God's word is challenging us to think deeply about these kind of friendships. They can offer us very needed stability in our lives. And then he kind of changes gears and talks about. Not going to your brother's house in the day of your calamity, but better as a neighbor who's nearer than a brother. Again, the idea is that there can be even brother-like loyalty among friends or your next-door neighbors. But your family doesn't always live that close. You might have an immediate need. Who can meet that better than the person who's right, you know, right next door? Whether it's just, I need a stick of butter and my family lives in town and my neighbor's right here or something that's a crisis or an emergency. So we want to be that kind of neighbor when there's a that kind of need. It's the idea of just being accessible to people. And a close neighbor, we need to think of this. We are in a far better place to lend a helping hand than perhaps their better friends or even their family members. So a wise friend is constant. A wise friend does not forsake a relationship. And then third, love covers wrongs. Proverbs ten twelve, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And when we looked at wise words, we were remember, we were reminded that like our tone of voice and the things that come out of our mouths can actually incite even more anger and it's incite even more hatred. We can bring the worst out of people or we can try to bring the best out of people, depending on the situation. The, the hatred is the opposite of the love. And what the love does is it's, it's able to overlook the hurts and the pains. It's able to overlook the transgressions and the wrongs that have been done. Now, this doesn't mean that they weren't wrong. It's not giving up justice or forfeiting right from wrong. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences from the wrong things we do. But it does mean that there comes a time when things have been dealt with biblically and properly that we need to let things go in order to move on. It covers things. Now, this same verse is quoted by Peter, 1 Peter 4 8. He says, Above all, 
Keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. So I, I like that it's in the Old Testament. And then Peter applies this proverb that apparently he learned in his Christian walk to New Testament believers. So it's this love that speaks truth. It's not a, it's not a gushy kind of love that ignores real hurts and pains in life. It's not... It's not the kind of love that our culture is trying to push on us. And that's an anything goes kind of love. You know, it's like today you can get your badge of honor and, and show your true loyalty to friends by not speaking into their lives, by not judging them, but by being tolerant and saying, if that's what you want, if that's what's good for you, that's what's the most important thing. That's a gushy kind of love that doesn't recognize true standards. And um, true right and wrong. Things need to be properly dealt with and then we can move on. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Some people think the Apostle Paul had these scriptures in mind when he penned 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. Because he says love's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way and it's not irritable or Resentful. So although offenses are real, when you truly care for that person, you want to get over it. You want to do what it takes to get over it so you can restore these kind of relationships. And you want to guard your heart not to let it turn into a resentment or a bitterness. And he says, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. We know, we all know, that if we have dealt properly with an issue, whether it's family or friend. Forgiveness has been sought and given. If we have offered forgiveness or said, I'm going to love you through this, but then we keep repeating it and we keep holding it in their faces. But you did this and you did this and we don't get over it. That's going to strain. And this says separate close friends. Marriages will be tested in this way. Friendships will be tested in this way. We have to come to grips with the gospel in our own lives. Or those that are closest to us, those kind of relationships can come to ruin. So love motivates us to live righteously and and to forgive those who have offended us and to forgive ourselves in the name of Christ so that we can move on. Proverbs 27, 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. This verse takes the previous verse about speaking things as they are, speaking truth. It takes it a notch farther because it's saying that there are times where we have to speak frankly. We have to be willing to shake someone up for the purpose of uh, of love, showing them love. And if we don't, he says it's a hidden love. Then we are we are choosing not to love that person. We're not showing that person that we have true care for them. And we're looking out for their own interests. And it's kind of like this, the proverb that talks about you can spank your child and yeah, he's going to bawl and cry, but don't worry, he's not going to die. The idea behind this kind of discipline is that you're inflicting a little bit of pain now. Why? Because you're hoping that this flaw will be corrected while it's still small and and for the most part, painless, when it grows into the full form, that's when that person's really going to suffer from it. 
And it's the same idea in friendships as we speak into one another's lives discerningly and wisely with love. We sometimes we have to speak frankly and to not do so is to hide our love. Uh, I like what commentator Eldon Woodcock says about this. He says it is to let another's wrongs cover our love instead of our love covering their wrongs. To let another's wrongs cover our love by not saying anything instead of our love covering their wrongs. So wise friendships, according to God's word, it requires a faithfulness and a constancy, personal sacrifice. And it requires not just being a fair weather friend, but being there when our friends need us, especially when they need us most, when they're at their lowest. It requires being honest and truthful in the love of Christ and being frank and being tactful and loving. And then we talk about the characteristics of neighbors. We don't talk a whole lot about neighbors today, but this was a very important topic, of course, in the Bible. You read all about neighbors. They're in there, if not, if not as much as friendships, but maybe even more than with friendships. And again, the reason that we're talking about neighbors is because this word literally was interchanged in Old Testament times. So how do, how do the Bible uh, translators know when to use the word friend and when to use the word neighbor? Only by the context of what the person is saying, because the word could be used either way. So even like today, we use the word friend in varying degrees. A friend can mean basically nothing. And then a friend could mean my absolute Beer, uh, dearest, uh, as um, Anne with E would say of Green Gables, my bosom buddy. So I might, let's say church is over and everybody's crowded up in the back here and I need to get, make my way to the car. And you just happen to be a visitor. I've never met you before. I might put my hand on your shoulder and say, excuse me, friend, as I slip by you. They're not really my friend. It's just a cordial way to address somebody. But I could actually get behind one of my good friends and put my hand on their shoulder and say, excuse me, friend, let me get by you. And it would actually be my true friend. So the context is what really determines these kind of things as we read through these terms of neighbor. But here's something to keep in mind that I think is absolutely profound as we think about neighbor, because we're not used to thinking in community as the Bible would have us. We're just we're just moving away from that as a culture. So we have to constantly be confronted with it. But commentator Derek Kidner brings this up and he reminds us that the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. And when it uses that word neighbor, it could be talking about your very best friend who lives next door. But it could also be talking about the person that just moved next door that you maybe barely even know. And look what the. Bible does to us immediately, it, it, it challenges us to personalize all of the friendships that we possibly can. So whether we know them for have just known them for five minutes or for 50 years, we are to love them as ourselves. What a challenge that is for the Christian ethic and the Christian community. Can you imagine the communities that we would have if we lived this out? If we just loved our neighbors, those in proximity to us? As we loved ourselves, that would be world changing. And it was in the New Testament and Christ led the way. 
Another thing we learn about a neighbor or a friend is that they they're there at the right time and try to avoid not being or try to avoid being there at the wrong time. Proverbs twenty five seventeen. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house. Lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Does that really happen? What does my neighbor think about me? The idea is that there are limits. Even to friendships. Even to close friendships. I don't know if you've experienced this, but, uh, you know, I had good friends growing up. It depends on what grade I was in, but... When you got older and you were old enough to spend the night at each other's houses, which was a huge step. It was a big deal. And we used to try to be spend as much time as we could together and and uh, might go over to a friend's house and even get to spend two nights or three nights. Or you go on a week long vacation with each other. And sometimes you're you're so cooped up with one another. You spend so much time together. You start getting sick of each other. And the idea is that we we need our space sometimes. It just we just need our space sometimes and and sometimes constant proximity actually can ruin a relationship. We need to be discerning. We need to read one another so that we can know, am I actually just blessing their socks off by being here today or are they secretly wishing I would leave? You know, if, if they're constantly uh, hmm, looking at the watch, it might be a tactful hint. But isn't it interesting that even the Bible recognizes this, that people need their space, that we can, as we would say, wear out our welcome and not just assume that everybody loves us so much that we can move right in and not be a hindrance. Um, A good example of this, maybe you can pull it up on the Internet. I don't Internet. I don't know. But just watch an episode of um, Dennis the Menace with Mr. Wilson. And you will get an idea of how you can wear your welcome out as a neighbor. When I lived in South Carolina, uh, we lived in a trailer park close to the campus when I was at college. And um, we had some neighbors move into the trailer park, this catty corner with us. I I think it was the first or second year they were there. We were there. And uh, they were very interesting neighbors. Um, Very, very young couple I think they were married. I'm not sure. She was probably 16 pregnant and he was probably 17. And I guess maybe he got her pregnant. They decided just to move out and do life on their own. But they weren't ready for it at all. But uh, so it was kind of an interesting situation. But this lady, this young girl would um, knock on my trailer door, which, of course, you know, a trailer door knock. You hear it throughout the whole house. But anyway, um, knock on the door and say, can I please use your phone? You, know, you could tell that she didn't have any money and she didn't have maternity clothes. Her belly was hanging out of her, her shirts. And it was just one of those situations. And I'm so I think, well, I'm a, to myself, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a good neighbor. Of course, you can use my phone. And so she'd use the phone and call a friend and plan something. And then a few hours later, the knock again. And can I use your phone? They, they didn't have enough money for a phone. And this was before um, mobile phones, by the way. There was an age before that. He actually had to go somewhere that was connected to something to make a phone call. And she couldn't do that. So I was the source to the outside world. But this became quite a habit. Um, Knocking on the door. Can I use your phone? And, of course, I could hear the conversations. They weren't important at all. They were just talking to friends. 
you know, catching up with friends and using my phone to do that. And then uh, it started to just really wear on me. I mean, my, I was thinking, well, I'm a Christian. Of course you can use my phone. And then I'm like, I don't know that I want to be a Christian anymore. I was thinking, of, you know, she had she had makeup caked and uh, and I get the phone and it had makeup cake to it. So I had to wash it every time. And this person was not particularly sanitary. So it had an odor to it. I mean, every little thing was just breaking on my nerves. And it's, you know, I, they moved away. God was gracious and they they moved away. But it, we, we face these kind of things with our Christian witness. Then it says, on the other hand, and this is a challenge, do not put off your neighbor. Proverbs three twenty seven twenty eight. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. We like to just stay out of each other's business. And that's not biblical to a degree. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I'll give it when you have it with you now. So being a good friend means being ready to give that prompt help to a person that is in need, being available rather than postponing it with the hopes that they'll forget or the need will no longer be there. It's an an avoidance. Uh, Again, Eldon Woodcock says a little help given when urgently needed is far more valuable and appreciated than much help given later. That is so true. And I know you get tired of us talking about it, but that was our wedding experience recently with Jessica. We needed urgent help and we received urgent help. You have a time limit to to pull things off and then you need to get out of there once it's done. And that just spoke volumes to us um, in the service that was given. And then we find that another characteristic is they sharpen one another. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. What do we do with our tools in order to make them work more efficiently? You know, it helps to have a sharp tool, no matter whether it's a saw blade or a knife or whatever you do. Um, and so we take metal and we sharpen it, we grind it down. And the idea is the same with friendships. What we're trying to do in our friendship is to bring out the best of one another. We're trying to sharp one another so that we can move to another level of, uh, of efficiency or proficiency, another level of righteousness, another level of serving the Lord, maybe another level of passion and, and mutual encouragement, sharing methods and ideas with one another. We're sharpening one another for the better of the kingdom. And then lastly... Uh, good neighbors, good friends, obviously, are kind and they're gracious. Proverbs eleven sixteen, A gracious woman gets honor and violent men gets riches. Violent men gets riches. We, we can play that game. It, it happens all the time. You know, we can bully people. We can, we can um, abuse people, manipulate them to get their money. We can sue them, um, try to take them for all that they're worth unrighteously or illegally, we can just do all of these kind of things so we can amass ourselves a fortune. And people do that. They extort. Work people to death, run them into the ground, threaten them and gain wealth. But what do they have? 
It says here that the, the gracious person, the kind person has the value of honor, the value of respect, the value of appreciation. And these are all things you can't buy with money. So who sleeps better at night? That the person that has these kind of relationships is more satisfied in their heart and in their soul. So graciousness, kindness is its own kind of value, its own kind of wealth. A similar verse, eleven seventeen: a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Then the last verse I want to share with you this morning in Proverbs has to do with uh, unfriendliness. And it's Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now this word unfriendly means that basically you've separated yourself. And it's sad to see that that's, uh, that, that happens today more than it seems like it used to. This is somebody that has separated themselves from society. They have decided for whatever reason that they're not going to be sociable. They, they just can't get along with others. They can't learn to appreciate others. And they decide to live that lonely life. But what it is, is they're primarily interested in their own ambitions, their own pursuits. They don't really care about other people. They don't care about their neighbors or their community. They're apathetic to these kind of things. And Scripture says this kind of attitude lacks sound judgment. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with the way the world works. And a lot of times today we are actually faced with a crisis, a social crisis, because a lot of the people that have become very unsociable and cut themselves away from others uh, are what we read about with um, school shootings and, and different things like that. And so this is something that's very real to us in our society. Unfriendliness uh, is a sin. It's something that we, as believers, need to work on. Is being a friend and offering friendship. But here's how I want to close this. I said that open with the idea that friendships are used by God. They're important. They communicate the gospel. And I think the gospel can be found just like in marriages and families. It can be found in friendships. Everything that we've read about, everything that we could ever possibly want in a friend is personified in Christ Jesus, the Lord. All of these characteristics of a true friend, of a true neighbor, of love and graciousness are personified in Christ. And because of the gospel, this perfect person, Jesus Christ, offers his friendship to an undeserving people. He says in John 15:13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We long for these kind of relationships. We may or may not have access to them for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's our fault or somebody else's on a human level. We always have access to the friendship that we long for in a spiritual level. And Christ loves us in this way. I know this is make believe, but I get I love these kind of things. And it was in the movie uh, Captain America, the first one. And he's just a pipsqueak, but he really wants to join the army and get into the war. 
He's all heart. And somehow, I can't remember, but he gets, he's able to join the squad. He's in the squad, and he's still, he, hadn't, he hadn't been enhanced yet. He's still a pipsqueak. And uh, so all of his comrades, his brothers in arms, and he's so excited to be a part of this. They're in kind of a circle being taught by their sergeant or their commander. And just as a test, the commander pulls a pin to a grenade and he throws it in the middle of the circle. And, and all the, the soldiers are like, what do we do? Captain America, before he was Captain America, he dives on the grenade and covers over it with his body. And uh, it was just such a heroic scene. I know it was make-believe. The cross wasn't make-believe. And this, this pipsqueak dove on that grenade so that his brothers wouldn't be hurt, so his brothers could walk away free and whole. He was willing to take the hit. In real life, Jesus was willing to hang on the cross and face the destruction that we deserve so that we can walk through life free and forgiven and whole. And it's a beautiful thing. And he extends his friendship, his salvation in a relational way, not just doc- doctrinally, not just theoretically, but real and visceral. God will get in our lives. He'll, he comes into our hearts. He inhabits us if we trust in him. To do that. And I like what he says continually in John 15 in 14, uh, verse 14. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have given to you. That's a true friend. And I want to close with this verse as we think about it. Revelation 320. How many times have we heard it? Behold. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That is an invitation for friendship. It's an invitation for fellowship. You know, if if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you if, if, if that there's that little knock on the door of your heart. Open it up and confess Christ as Lord that he may come in and make you whole. And for those of us that have already done that, we all know that the Lord knocks on every little room, the doors and all our rooms, because sometimes we want to hold back. Yeah, come on into this room. Oh, but there might be some other doors that we're holding back on God so that we can walk in the wholeness and the freedom of the spirit as we. Worship the Lord now and enter into a time of communion. Let's just open our hearts to God and and praise him and exalt him. He is worthy of our praise. May God bless the preaching of his word.